0: Listening to episode 71 of Caucus Talk, your source for culture, history, and tourism in the North Caucasus mountains of Russia. I'm your host, Andrew.
1: And I'm your host, Eli. Welcome back. We are going to take a turn into the history angle of Caucus Talk. If you've ever been to Russia, if you live here, one thing you'll notice everywhere you go, in every city, in the Caucasus and throughout all of Russia, yeah. there's going to be An eternal flame. Yes. Somewhere in some park, there's going to be some memorial of World War II. It is huge here. Am I right?
0: Yeah, it's true. Even in this real small villages, they'll they'll often have something.
1: I mean, we were vacationing last spring in a small village near Donbai, but not even in Donbai because it was the May holiday. And down this, like, two-lane road the school comes and like the 10 people as parade and they got the balloons and there's wow. no one watching. <laughs> it's just, there's cows, but they're doing wow. the parade. So coming up is, um, the 75th anniversary of victory in Europe day, May 8th, 1945. The Nazis yeah. officially surrendered to the allies and that is yeah. celebrated all around the world in some variation, in with different variations. That's but right. in Russia, it is
0: on May 9th. Yeah. And it's a huge deal here. Like when I think about what are, people often ask me back home, you know, what are the big holidays that Russians celebrate? Um, I always say New Year's is number one. Yeah. Then March 8th is International Women's Day. That is a huge deal That's here. That's a huge one. Yep. Um, and then May 9th is Victory Day um, because of, like, how much of the war happened here in Russia uh, or, and in the former Soviet Union. Yeah. Um, Every, I mean, And, and everyone was deal. touched
1: by it. I mean, even here in Mahochkala, when I drive home, there's one section of street that has two walls for about, I would say, a good couple hundred meters. There's just low walls For one of those factories or something. And every segment of the wall has a full, like 10 foot wide portrait of one of the locals who was lost in World War II.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So it's like a, it's like, it's all (laughs) up in this this corridor of memory. So it's a major deal here. And um, Andrew is going to take us on a fascinating, like, Uh, overview of what really was it about here in the North Caucasus? Why did the Germans come all the way down here? And like, what did it look like?
0: Yeah. Um, It, like Eli said, if you live here, you just, the longer you're here, you see these things everywhere that are memorials to world war two. And then especially May 9th, it is such a big deal. There's huge parades. Um, A lot of people have, you know, relatives who died in the war um yep. and so i've you know you hear from th- things from different people and i've always kind of known in general what happened in russia which was terrible you know like they say in the soviet union 26 to 28 million people died fighting in in world war 2 wow yeah and many of them were here in russia because germany invaded um and yeah. so but i've always wanted to learn more specifically about what was it that happened here in the caucasus because you see the memorials you, you see things at Elbrus, um, you see things yep. in different places, but I didn't really know the details. So i sure. And uh, you can
1: wonder, is this just like put here by Russians or is this, you know, what actually happened locally before we dive into it? Let's do, um, news minute. Let's lighten it up.
0: <laughs> this is a really good, feel good story. Um, and then we'll yeah, then so we'll That's true. So, uh. Saw this in the news uh, a couple months ago, around Christmas New Year's. Uh, a girl from Austria sent up her in the fall. She sent up in a balloon her uh, Christmas list for Santa to get at the North Pole. She addressed <laughs> she addressed it to the North Pole. She wrote a letter in the German language uh, about what she would like. So there was basically the balloon. It was a helium balloon, and then uh, it had a little like box tied to it or a letter tied to it at the end. Well, that is amazingly very enough, endearing. Yeah, this balloon. She's a nine-year-old girl. It floated all the way in the air into the North Caucasus from Austria, and it landed what? in a guy. It landed in a guy's backyard in Karachay-Cherkessia, uh, not that far <laughs> from uh, from Kislevoltz. His name was Amin, and he gets it. And he opens the letter and he sees that it's in German. He doesn't understand. So he has a friend translate it who speaks German. And he sees it's this girl's like Christmas wish list to Santa oh Claus. Oh my gosh. So this guy, he basically, I forget exactly what she asked for, um, but he raised the money from his friends and then they got the gift and they mailed it back to her in Austria.
1: Oh man, How that am- is
0: classy.
1: How amazing is that? I mean, the fact that the balloon landed in like habit inhabited land that someone could find, first of all, and not on like a roof in the forest in the water, but that it landed in someone's yard. I mean, there's that the chances are diminishingly small of that yeah. happening.
0: Yeah. And like he really went out of his way to make this happen. So I'm reading now. He she had requested a fairy tale princess's dress, a tent shaped like a medieval castle, and a hoverboard. <laughs> ah. <gasps> and he made it happen, man. Cause like he couldn't afford it all, but he got his friends to like he did his own oh. Kickstarter or whatever. And then uh yeah, somehow ended up having it delivered to her and like it be it's blown up as a media story. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah.
1: That's all she had on her list. I she, I, I needed, my kids need to talk to her. <laughs> their lists are like, they got lots of Christmases on their lists.
0: Oh man. <laughs> but anyways, so, yeah, it's really the cool. The moral
1: of the story is, send your requests to the North Caucasus. <laughs>
0: How, however you can control the winds. <laughs> Yeah, but
1: you know, I did that when I was little. I sent a balloon with like really, it's just a random like. If if you get this, and I remember, I was younger than I was younger than ten probably. And we we're going out the door for to school and at like seven thirty in the morning. The, our phone rang in our house in D.C. and it was for me. I'm like, what the heck? And It's like, oh, this is so and so from Virginia. I was like, oh yeah, like I got your balloon. <laughs> hey, oh, okay. <laughs>
0: What did you Bye. say your I name mean, was? I know. <laughs> Claus isn't in wow, that's there.
1: That's a great story, man. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So yeah, props to props to Amin, our farmer friend in Karcha Cherkessia. That that is just that's really cool. Restored a bunch of people's faith in humanity, I think. A small act of kindness. That's so, a
1: great news minute. Thanks, Andrew.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay, so uh like like we were talking about uh I've learned a lot about world war two and especially from the Russian perspective, uh, living in Russia for so many years. Uh, and, uh, I was given a great book recommendation. Uh, it's called the Caucasus, 1942 to 1943. And it's by Robert Forsik or Forchik. Um, we'll link that in the show notes, but highly recommend this book. Mm-hmm. It's a very kind of, uh, detailed step-by-step, uh, picture to what happened in these years in the Caucasus. And then he gives a lot of context uh, to the overall war. So that's kind of where I learned a lot of these things. Um, But one thing Eli, I'll say right off the bat, I thought I knew Caucasus geography really well. And I learned a lot more about it reading this book. Um, How so? Essentially, there was a six to 12 month campaign that the Nazis did to try to conquer the Caucasus. And uh-huh. I learned about a lot of their obstacles they hit up on in the Caucasus as a result of that. Um, so that's one thing we're going to talk about. Uh-huh. And then um, really, this was one thing I never knew, but the whole reason that the Nazis wanted to capture the Caucasus was to get control of the oil fields here in the, here in the region so they could basically fuel their all their w- war machine, all their equipment.
1: Okay. So... Where Where is their oil in the North Caucasus mainly?
0: Is yes, it just so, everywhere? Right. So, at, at least in that time, I'm not as up to date on the current situation, but in that okay. time, they were focused on Mykop, which is the capital of Adigea, that's Western Caucasus, mm-hmm. the oil fields in that region, and then Grozny in Chechnya. Uh
1: huh. And sure.
0: then eventually they wanted to get to Baku and Azerbaijan.
1: Yeah, because that's where I mainly associate the oil, is Azerbaijan. Right. But that's south. Caspian
0: Sea yeah, yeah yeah. Okay. So uh basically, what happened was uh, a one of the field marshals in the German army, he also like worked closely with a private uh, German oil company, and he this was his idea. Uh, he, he thought that, like they, if they captured the Maikop and Grozny oil fields, they'd be able to restore them quickly and like be cranking out you know x number of tons of crude oil every month to fuel Uh what they were doing. And he actually convinced Hitler to do this, to go that route.
1: This particular.
0: Yeah. This guy, uh, uh, Goring was his last name. Uh Um, so anyways, that that's why they decided to do it. They had moved pretty deep into Southern Russia. They had, they were close to Rostov and during this time was the famous battle of Stalingrad was happening, Mm. which is, uh, modern day Volgograd. Uh, have you ever seen that movie, Eli enemy at the gates? Nope. No, I haven't. This came out, uh, however many years ago, but Jude law was kind of the main actor and it was famous. There was kind of like this sniper war between this one Russian sniper and this one German sniper. Um, but yeah, so Mm. anyways, a lot of German resources were going to Stalingrad and essentially one of the mistakes they made in trying to conquer the Caucasus was they divided too many of the resources away from the region.
1: You know, there's some people, Andrew, who'd say one of the mistakes they made in trying to conquer the Caucasus was trying to conquer the Caucasus.
0: <laughs> it's true. It's true. So one thing that's interesting about the war in the Soviet Union, uh, people, you know, the Soviet Union was comprised of 15 modern day countries. So there were many nationalities fighting against the Nazis. And so people didn't always fight in their kind of land of origin. Uh, so I do want to just say off the bat, there were many Caucasus people who received, we'd call it a Medal of Honor. Uh, here in this, in the Russia, it's called like the order of the Soviet Union, highest order of the so- Soviet Union or something like that.
1: Mm, okay. Um,
0: but uh, many people from the Caucasus received uh, these kind of honors and medals for the feats they performed in the war, and I just wanted to recognize just three of them briefly. Uh, one cool. one was a uh, Chechen officer in the Red Army. His name was Movlid uh, Bisaitov, and listen to this, Eli. He was the first mm-hmm. Soviet officer to shake hands with the Americans at the Elbe River after Victory Whoa. Day. Yeah,
1: that gave me chills.
0: Yeah, um, the Chechen guy. Yeah, he was. He was a uh, uh, like a. Lieutenant or general. I'm not sure exactly what his rank was, but he met general bowling from the Americans at the LB river and he gave him his horse and general bowling gave him his vehicle, like a classic (laughs) classic in that time (laughs) trade. (laughs) Yeah. So he posthumously received, uh, this Soviet honor and, um, actually president Truman from America gave him a Legion of merit award. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, That was one, uh, Movlid Vysaytov from Chechnya. Then there was a uh, Adig, uh, basically an artilleryman, uh, Ademir Ademir Achmizov. He was Shapsug from kind of the Western Caucasus on the Black Sea, but he actually Mm -hmm. did fight in the Caucasus, and he um, died in 1943 fighting, but he also was uh, rewarded kind of like with a Medal of Honor as well. And then one of the most famous stories out of the Caucasus, are the Gazdanovi brothers from, yeah. from Ossetia? Um, but they, there were seven brothers, and God. all seven of them, all seven of them died between the age of 28 to 34, uh, defending their motherland. The youngest brother, Hassan Beck, when he was 20, went missing and they never found him in 1941. But if you go to North Ossetia, Vladikavkaz, there are memorials to these guys. Um, and you can imagine for the the parents how heartbreaking that was, you know. Um, Man, yeah. So a lot of heroes who died fighting, uh, defending their homeland. Um, and then there was, you know, like I said, a six to twelve month period where the fighting was happening here in the region. So Eli, let's talk geography. Okay. When you think about the Caucasus region as a whole, not just the mountains, but kind of the wider region, what are like the kind of features you think of that make the, the region unique?
1: Sure. Um, well, I think of the mountains, there's Elbrus and there are other large peaks. Yeah. That would be the first one. I think of the Caspian Sea, um, kind okay. of mountains down to the sea. Um, there are a bunch of rivers going down, and I just don't know the names of most of them.
0: Yeah, I mean, you nailed two of them right there. The mountains obviously are a huge landmark. And then the rivers. um, And then a third one would be, uh, I don't know if this fits in geography, but kind of the weather dynamics um, that the Germans had to deal with. So uh, let's start with, we'll start with the rivers because the Nazis started kind of north of the mountains. And uh, a lot of people call it the Steppe, kind of the Stavropol region the Kalmyk region, Kalmykia region, it's just flat. It's totally flat,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: it's really hot. Um, so they actually did not expect that, like dealing with in the summer, like 50 degrees Celsius type weathers. I mean, up Jeez. to like 110, I mean, 115.
1: People always say that to us. Oh, I live in Russia. must be pretty freezing there. I'm like, well, it was like a – high of 60 today and it's january because we're down south and it's warmer in general but up in the steppe i'm sure it's totally different yeah
0: i think probably the hottest region in russia is right north of us here in the caucasus stavropa region and kalmykia they call it because all
1: of all of the flatlands get toasty in the summertime for sure around like 40
0: or 100 yeah Celsius fahrenheit that's right yeah so that was that was one big like thing they were not prepared for so like. They had some of these really long marches across the steppes where, like, they were just so dehydrated by the end of them. Um, Yeah. Uh, Another in the steppes. So there's three major rivers in the kind of greater Caucasus region. Uh, The one is the, let me see, I'm going to pull it up here. So we'll start up north. I'd never heard of this river. It's called the Manich, the Manich River. But basically, this is right in the middle of the Stavropol region uh and it kind of runs from the Rostov direction diagonal mm-hmm. down towards uh mm-hmm. Dagestan but that that's one river and then the Kuban river
1: yes the Kuban's a big one
0: that runs kind of from the black sea through Krasnodar into Karchai cherkessia and then the Terek river from the, the yeah, yeah,
1: the yeah. It, from
0: the black sea yeah 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 from the black kind of from the black sea or maybe two yeah good point to the black sea <laughs> <laughs> It runs up into the mountains. Never know. Good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the Terek River, which runs out of Georgia, and then this covers a ton of the Caucasus into Ossetia, Kabardino-Balkaria, Chechnya, Dagestan, into the Caspian Sea. Okay. So uh, one big dynamic the Germans had to do was they had to like cross all of these rivers with their equipment, and, and they weren't prepared for that. So let me, I want to read a quote from the book. This is so interesting to me.
1: If they were driving their buhankas, they would have had no problem.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So here's a quote. One battalion was supposed to have sufficient pontoons to build either a 20-ton tactical bridge across a 50-meter wide gap or to create one 20-ton ferry. However, many rivers in the Caucasus were wider than 50 meters. As a result, relatively minor barriers such as the Terek River proved to be showstoppers. Just stopped
1: them in their tracks?
0: Yeah, like, they either would have to move farther down the river, uh-huh. or the, they or because, the, like, basically what was happening was the Red Army forces were blowing up bridges so they couldn't cross the rivers, yes. and they would have to build their own bridge to get all their equipment across. And so, like, step after step, starting from the Stavropol region, down the deeper they got in the Caucasus, that was a huge barrier for them. It would take them a lot of time and work just to, like, build bridges.
1: And I imagine their supply chain would have been an issue at that point, too, because they're at the extreme end.
0: Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, way far out.
0: Yeah, so anyways, often when you think about the Caucasus, you don't think about the rivers, but that was, like, a huge barrier Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, they had to think about. You also mentioned the sea, Eli. Uh, now Dagestan really was the only of all the Caucasus Republics that there was minimal fighting in. Um, the rest of the republics saw a lot more of it, but the black sea on the other side of the Caucasus, um, the Germans were trying to capture different forts or kind of basically these seaports yeah. to send, uh, their ships across the black sea from Crimea or Ukraine. And so um, they made multiple concerted efforts to cross through the mountains on, on the Western Caucasus to get to these uh, seaports and basically got stymied in the mountains. Just couldn't um, get through. Yeah, and like I can read you some of the examples here, but two like famous places. One is Sukumi, which is the capital of Abhazia, uh-huh. uh, which in that time was Georgia. Uh, and then another was, it's a small port it's called Tuapse. It's north of Sochi, mm-hmm. but south of like kind of the big sea, area, uh, beach areas like Anapa. But do you hear that? The Tuapse. It's like got that Cherkes sound, the Adik sound.
1: Yeah, it definitely does. It does.
0: And I think so, historically those were Ubik lands. Uh, that's, so that's were they Chirkez stopped name.
1: by, yes. Were they stopped by locals or was it stopped by the geography?
0: Of course there was fighting along the way, but let, let's read about it. It's really interesting. So to get to Tuapse, they tried to go through the Idigea Mountains, the Western Caucasus. Uh, at, they hit the oil fields in Maikop, and they kept, tried to keep going. Uh, so listen to this. Germany had committed two elite mountain infantry divisions to the Caucasus. Although they were well-trained in mountaineering, the, the mountains here were, in order, to, order of magnitude, much more challenging than the mountain warfare schools in Bavaria or Austria. Most previous wow. German mountain warfare experience was at elevations below two thousand meters, but the Caucasus had a dozen peak over four thousand meters. Yeah, so That's the big. the mountains themselves, yeah, they were literally twice as high as anywhere they'd ever been before. And then hmm. let's look at uh, when they went west into Tuapse. It says. The climate in the Caucasus was way more extreme than in other parts of the Soviet Union. And the vital mountain passes were closed with deep snow by late September, which meant that either the Germans had to seize them within eight weeks of the start of their campaign or they'd be shut out of the region until the spring of the next year. So basically a combination of the restrictive nature of the mountains, the rivers, Mm -hmm. and then once you got Mm -hmm. up into the mountains, the limited road networks totally like hindered them.
1: It reminds me of that story you told of the guy who wanted to drive his Land Rover to the top of <laughs> what was it was Elbruce?
0: It Elbruce, Elbruce, yeah.
1: He wanted to drive it up there and just like just the functioning of the car started to like d- diminish as he got higher, you know, certain things and pumps <laughs> and fluids and whatever. It's just the altitude now that's more extreme. That's 5400 more two hundred meters, whatever it is, um but still, if you're up you know a thousand meters higher than you expect it to be, there's stuff that just doesn't work, like your brain,
0: yeah, and like one example <laughs> is uh <laughs> obviously elevation, and that's that's the highest elevation right there, um yeah the but the like in Adigea, those are kind of the lower kind of part of the Caucasus mountains, but like the weather there is still what shut them down, so. Uh, it was Interesting. late October. They were, they actually could see the black sea in the distance. And then it started raining, which turned the trails into like complete mud. And oh, then yeah. like the low cloud cover, like didn't allow them to have any air cover to provide air support. Mm. So yeah, they really got stuck. A uh, weather was a big, weather was big reason why another, uh, you know, we've heard of the Georgian military highway. Which is that main road through the Central Caucasus through Ossetia. Yep. In that day, it was called the Sukumi uh, military highway. And it was a road that connected Cherkesk in Karachi Cherkesia to Abhazia. But they what oh. they realized when they got up there following that road. So that road goes from Cherkesk into Tiburda. There was fighting in Teberda right near Dumbai. And then it goes through these mountain passes. It basically was just a dirt trail up in the mountains. Uh. <laughs> and so, like, they would have to get single file. You know, they they would literally have donkeys carrying their goods. And, like, it was totally not passable as far as weather. Or, and they were getting ambushed often by Soviet forces.
1: Andrew, let me interject here. You've got uh, a snippet from Fortrick's book kind of sh- giving a, a taste of what, what it was l- like for... These troops in the mountains. So let me just read this, okay? So this is quoting from his book about the attempt of the Germans going through the mountains in Western Caucasus to Tuapse on the Black Sea. This was on the, the Western side there. The Soviet 12th Army had retreated to more defensible positions on mountain tops further south, and Honey's lone battalion boldly advanced along a narrow track into a classic ambush at the 50 meter wide Wolf's Gate pass. So this is some guy's battalion. So 50 meters wide, like that's pretty narrow. All right. So both sides of the narrow passes were flanked by steep wooded ridges and were occupied by the Soviets. Honi's battalion advanced in a long column and was blasted from both sides as it entered the pass, destroying the vanguard. The Soviets had fortified Mount Oplipek and brought the German column under heavy fire, which Soviet while Soviet infantrymen maneuvered through the hills to cut off their escape route. With great difficulty, Honey extracted his bloodied battalion from the ambush at the cost of abandoning his wounded and his heavy weapons and retreated 12 kilometers back. Their offensive towards Tuopsy had been halted after only four days by the increasing Soviet resistance and rugged terrain. I just think that really well captures what you're describing yeah. here of... Right the combination of the ambush and like what it, what it felt like, you know, you've got to squeeze through this 50 meter wide pass and boom, there's just no, there's no way forward. So really interesting.
0: Yeah. So their like total push to go West was a complete, to get those seaports was a total uh, fail because of a lot of it had to do with the conditions in the mountains.
1: It's kind of like the mountains are leveling force in a sense that puts everyone on the same page. You know, it's like, we right. need donkeys and we need donkeys. You know, we're all on foot here. We're all subject to the weather. Yeah. Well, how about the Eastern campaign? Was there a separate campaign to the East or how did that work?
0: Yeah, there was a separate campaign to the East. Uh, they pushed, I mean, it's amazing. You and I know all these stories, but they pushed through Stavropol region, uh, Armavir, uh, Georgivsk, Pitigorsk, uh, Prachladny into Kabardino-Balkaria and then into Ingushetia, Mogabek and there was huge fighting in the Mogabek area. Uh, mm. But they, they basically at that point realized, we're not going to get any farther. And so from wow. the east, they made one final push to the south to try to uh, take Vladikavkaz, which in, in those days, Vladikavkaz would call, was called Orjenakizhi, but we'll just say Vladikavkaz for modern-day yeah. sake. They made one final push in late uh, 2000, or 1942 and there was basically 10 days of super heavy fighting uh, around Vladikavkaz. And they were basically pushed back at that point. Um, they, they couldn't oh, advance any farther. Yeah. Um, and then So you from said there, they were going
1: for the oil, go ahead. but Vladikavkaz, would that have been more of a symbolic victory at that point?
0: Yeah. So in cop they were able to get control of the oil fields, but the uh, Red Army had totally sabotaged them so that like they couldn't, get good use of them. It took them a long time to get them working again, and they were never able to get good output. They never okay. made it to the Grozny. And that the was Grozny. the whole promise
1: of the, of the campaign yep. to begin with.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then they never made it to uh, the Grozny oil fields because of the fighting okay. uh, in northern Ingushetia and western Chechnya. Um, also, some of their forces were divid- diverted up towards the Stalingrad fighting, which really hurt them. And then, yeah, they made one final push to Vladikavkaz to basically try to take that mountain pass between Georgia and Russia. Got it. And they, best, that was where their progress stopped. Um, yeah, so after – basically the end of 1942 and on, it was a slow retreat. Uh, they, were, mm-hmm. they started losing all their ground then. Um, yeah, and it was brutal, man. I mean, we know overall – that between 26 to 28 million people in the Soviet Union died in the fighting. It says in the Caucasus, the Red Army suffered over 500,000 casualties. Um, Whoa. Two, almost 250,000 dead, missing, or captured.
1: You know, <laughs> when we first moved here, we went to the May 9th parade, which that's not even a day in the US. I mean, we have Memorial Day. No, right. We, we remember. World War II in different ways, but May 9th is not, or 8th uh, is it is not a particularly important day um, officially. Yeah. And we went to this right. parade and I, a lot of it, I was expecting, you know, the fire trucks drive by in the police cars. But what really struck me was this slow walking mass of people, each person holding a photograph, a portrait. Yep just hundreds of local people carrying the portraits of their loved ones, their family, their relatives who yep. were in the war or lost in the yep. war. And like, it doesn't get a lot more personal than that. It became, it just switched gears in my mind from like, hey, a parade to kind of commemorate this event to people personally remembering and grieving or celebrating, you know, grieving their losses or celebrating the, the bravery of, of the relatives. Yeah. Really striking.
0: Yeah. And I mean, it is so significant because it was that blood was shed here in this land, you know? I mean, really the, and almost a, a huge part of the Caucasus region, like there were battles happening um, and almost the entire entire North Re- Caucasus region was covered. Um, we mentioned this, but like, you see this everywhere in the region today. Um, of course in the big cities, you know, there's big war memorials. You can, um, you can find some like museums, but like even in the small villages throughout the region, usually in the downtown, there will be a memorial with every single person's name listed who fought and died in the war.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, uh, it really, it hit home with everybody.
1: Well, what was the deal with Elbrus? Why were the Nazis on Mount Elbrus? There's neither oil nor really people there. (laughs) So can you take us, like, because you hear about this. In fact, when you go to Elbrus and you take the gondola up to the first tier and there's a cafe there, there's a little museum. And it's actually got a lot of stuff. It's got helmets and stuff. So there was Nazis on Elbrus, and it wasn't for the skiing. Yeah, there's...
0: that's right. There's a museum on the, at the first level up where the cable cars go up, and then at the second level, there's a memorial of folks who okay. lost their lives. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, but basically, uh, there was an order from on high in Germany to take Elbrus, climb it, and take pictures with the Nazi flag on top, so we can use it for propaganda back home to show like oh, we're right. having success. And so uh, they did it. They climbed the mountain, uh, took pictures on the self on top of the Elbrus, and apparently uh, Hitler was furious because of like what the time and resources <laughs> it took for them to get up there. <laughs> but it was his
1: command. It was his. It, order. it wasn't
0: his order, but it it was from uh, it was from another high his, up, and he was really his not press happy. office. Yeah.
1: That's pretty interesting. I, I would feel like that's the kind of symbolic victory that would register, but um, I guess not.
0: Yeah. 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 Um, so, anyways, uh, yeah, those are kind of some of the the highlights. Obviously, this is a really in depth subject. There's a lot of things we could cover, but it really affected this region. Um, it's still very much alive in the Russian and Caucasus like mindset today the fighting that happened here in the land. Oh, and I'll end with this. Um, so today this started in 2007, but Russia started basically honoring cities where big battles took place. And a lot of lives were lost. And there's between 45 to 50 of them today in Russia. Hmm. And they're called, uh, Soviet cities of war glory. Hmm. And there are six cities in the Caucasus that have that distinction. Um, the first Rostov is not really in the Caucasus, but that was kind of the start of the Caucasus campaign, so we'll include Rostov. Um, Tuapse, which is that's that kind of seaport city on the Black Sea coast. Okay, sure. Uh, Nalchik, Malgabek mm-hmm. is a big one. That's a small city in northern Ingushetia. I was there recently, and they have a, a war museum. Grozny, Chechnya, and Vladikavkaz in North Ossetia. So, anyways, that's hopefully. I hope that was a good overview. There, there was a lot to cover, but it really did touch almost every kind of corner of this region.
1: So, hopefully, if you are kind of like us, and May eighth or 9th is not a big holiday where you are, this will give you a bit more appreciation for it. Or yeah, VE Day or Dien Babiedi Victory Day in Russia. And if you are, um, it gives even more insight into the caucuses connection to, uh, world war two.
0: Yeah. The connection and why like this memory lives so actively on today in Russia, Mm. you know,
1: thank you guys for listening to another episode. Please check us out on Facebook. Um, give us a like on iTunes. I'm think we're on Stitcher. If anyone uses that, I've got to go double check, but if we are, and you found us through Stitcher, will you let me know? Hey, Spotify
0: Spotify has moved big into podcasts, so maybe we're on Spotify Oh, uh, we're going
1: to move big into Spotify, aren't we? <laughs> mm-hmm. I got my first account this week, free Spotify account. I'm super against it because the data, but here we are. <laughs> and if you have any comments or stories, uh, tidbits, information to share from maybe where you're from in the caucuses or something that we missed, feel free to let us know.
0: Yeah, that's right. We love uh, we love hearing from you. Email us at podcast at caucus talk dot com. Have a great rest of April, and we'll see you when you get here.